Chapter six of seventeen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jonathan Burchard, May two thousand nine. Seventeen by Booth Tarkington. Chapter six. Truculence. Clematis frowned and sneezed as the infinitesimal particles of sachet powder settled in the lining of his nose. He became serious and was conscious of a growing feeling of dislike. He began to be upset over the whole matter, but his conscience compelled him to persist in his attempt to solve the mystery, and also he remembered that one should be courteous, no matter what some other thing chooses to be. Hence he sought to place his nose in contact with Floppets, for he had perceived on the front of the mysterious stranger a buttony something which might possibly be a nose. Floppet evaded the contact. He felt that he had endured about enough from this Apache, and that it was nearly time to destroy him. Having no experience of battle, save with bedroom slippers and lace handkerchiefs, Floppet had little doubt of his powers as a warrior. Betrayed by his majestic self-importance, he had not the remotest idea that he was small. Usually he saw the world from a window, or from the seat of an automobile, or over his mistress's arm. He looked down on all dogs, thought them ruffianly, despised them and it is the miraculous truth that not only was he unaware that he was small, but he did not even know that he was a dog himself. He did not think about himself in that way. From these various ignorances of his sprang his astonishing, his incredible valor. Clematis, with head lowered close to Floppets, perceived something peering at him from beneath the tangled curtain of cottony, velvet-scented stuff which seemed to be the upper part of Floppets' face. It was Floppets' eye, a red-rimmed eye and sore, and so demoniacally malignant that Clematis, indescribably startled, would have withdrawn his own countenance at once. But it was too late. With a fearful oath, Floppet sprang forward and annexed himself to the underlip of the horrified Clematis. Horror gave place to indignation instantly, and as Miss Parcher and her guest turned screaming, Clematis's self-command went all to pieces. Miss Parcher became faint and leaned against the hedge along which they had been passing but her visitor continued to scream, while Mr. Watson endeavored to kick Clematis without ruining Floppet. A difficult matter. Floppet was berserk from the first, and the mystery is where he learned the dog cursing that he did. In spite of the David and Goliath difference in size, it would be less than justice to deny that a very fair dogfight took place. It was so animated, in truth, that the one expert in such matters who was present found himself warmly interested. Genesis relieved himself of the burden of the wash-tub upon his back, dropped the handle of that other in which he had a half-interest, and watched the combat, his mouth, like his eyes, wide open in simple pleasure. He was not destined to enjoy the spectacle to the uttermost. A furious young person struck him a frantic, though harmless, blow with a pink parasol. "'You stop them!' she screamed. "'You make that horrible dog stop, or I'll have you arrested!' Genesis rushed forward. "'You clem!' he shouted. And instantly Clematis was but a whitish and brownish streak along the hedge. He ran like a dog in a moving picture when they speed the film, and he shot from sight once more round the corner, while Floppet, still cursing, was seized and squeezed in his mistress's embrace. But she was not satisfied. "'Where's that laundryman with the tin thing on his head?' she demanded. "'He ought to be arrested for having such a dog. It's his dog, isn't it? Where is he?' Genesis turned and looked round about the horizon, mystified. William, Sylvanus Baxter, and the clothes-boiler had disappeared from sight. "'If he owns that dog,' asserted the still furious owner of Floppet, "'I will have him arrested. Where is he? Where is that laundryman?' 
Why, he... Genesis began slowly. He ain't no laundry. He came to an uncertain pause. If she chose to assume, with quick feminine intuition, that the dog was William's and that William was a laundryman, it was not Genesis' place to enlighten her. Ticklerly, he reflected, since she talked so free about getting people rested, he became aware that William had squirmed through the hedge and now lay prostrate on the other side of it, but this likewise was something within neither his duty nor his inclination to reveal. "'This year laundryman,' said Genesis, resuming, "'this year laundryman what owned this dog, I reckon he must hopped on that streetcar what went by.' "'Well, he ought to be arrested,' she said, and pressing her cheek to Floppet's, she changed her tone. Isms eagle heart beating so flappity, ums own mumsy make ums all right, ums so vicious flop it. Then, with the consoling Miss Parcher's arm about her, and Mr. Watson even more dazzled with love than when he had first met her, some three hours past, she made her way between the tubs, and passed on down the street. Not till the three, and Floppet, were out of sight, did William come forth from the hedge. Hi-ya! exclaimed Genesis. That lady goin' to arrest every man that would own a dog if she had her way. But William spoke no word. In silence, then, they resumed their burdens and their journey. Clematis was waiting for them at the corner ahead. End of chapter 6